there's a book that I've been reading, and we're about to use this book in our men's study, our leadership study, and it's called Tender Warrior by Stu Weber. And one of the chapters starts like this. The author, Stu Weber, says, As I sit at my desk today, I look at a picture of three arrows on my desk. <clears throat> he goes on to explain that all three of these arrows are a little bit different, <clears throat> but they're all perfectly built. That if I practice with them, if I train them and discipline them, discipline them to hit the target, then when the day comes, and the day will come when you have to pull back your bow and let that arrow go. And you can do that with confidence that it's going to hit its target. He goes on to say at the end of the paragraph, I'm looking at a picture of my three kids. My kids and your kids are arrows. It's our responsibility to train them and practice with them. Ephesians chapter, four verse, chapter 6 verse 4 says, bring them up and the discipline of the Lord. And you know, we talk sometimes about how some of our kids, well, they're just, they're just naturally good, you know, and they're just sweet kids and they don't need a lot of correction. And sometimes we say our kids, and we might pause and we might say, well, they're just naturally maybe mischievous. And that's a better word than bad, but kids are different and every arrow is built a little differently. And no matter how, uh, how easygoing they are or their personality is or, or if they challenge you at every turn. Every child needs discipline. They don't know how to follow one path. We're being raised in our culture today to treat children the exact opposite way. You don't train them and make them follow a certain path and hit a certain target. You let them go in any direction that they, that they like, experience life as they please as if their life was an arrow in their own quiver. That's not the truth. Their arrow is their life in your quiver. And you are responsible for the direction and, and for correcting that path and causing them to travel in that, in that one direction. And of course, that's being respectful and obedient to God. If I raise my children to follow any path they want, what's the chance that they're going to grow up and follow one direction in faith to God. They won't follow their heavenly father if they will not follow, if they're not made to follow their earthly one. You want some scripture to go with that? I'm not going to read all of this, uh, <clears throat> but just go to Proverbs. You can write that down if you want. These tell how to protect your family. <coughs> I don't want my children to be a liability in my home. They should be an asset but that only comes with proper instruction. <clears throat> Proverbs 22, six, you can read it up there. There's some parents that train their children righteously, but the world changed their direction. It changed the direction of that arrow. But I tell you this, it left the house headed in the right direction. And oftentimes, They'll find that direction again. They'll find that path again. If you train them right, they will know where to go. Even if they fight it for years, they will know where they, where they are intended to go. So this morning, we're going to be talking about our kids, about this gift that has been entrusted to us. And we're going to start 
in the book of Deuteronomy this morning. Deuteronomy chapter, chapter uh, 6. That's where we'll be getting most of our text this morning. And when speakers get up here to give a lesson, you know, a lot of planning and a lot of thought has, has to go into that decision, a decision on what topic to pick. And now sometimes we're assigned a topic, but other times, such as the lesson this morning, we, we have to decide on the topic ourselves. And this morning, I just want to say something about our kids. Did you know that the most at-risk at risk group in the Springer Road family. Did you know that kids are that most at risk group? Over the next 20 years, we're not gonna lose many of you that are in your 30s or 40s or, or 50s. I'm a little nervous to go beyond that because you know there's another side of that when we start losing folks, but it's not because they run away from the Lord, it's because they go to be with the Lord. But if Springer Road is just statistically average, like other churches in the country, six or seven of the 10 young people that are sitting here this morning will make the decision to walk away. We want to do better than average. We want to do a whole lot better. And as a grandfather, I look back when I was a young father and I see failures, my failures in many of the things we're going to be talking about this morning. And it's, it's amazing how time can change your perspective in this life. I wish I knew or... Maybe I should say I wished I had accepted when I was young some of the stuff we're going to be covering. Let's look at the words of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He's talking to Israelite parents not too long before they entered the promised land. Moses is, of course, not going to enter the promised land. And he's saying goodbye to some of the people that he, he loves and cares about. Deuteronomy is sort of I guess you could say his farewell address to the nation. He was going to die and, and would not enter the promised land and Joshua would be the leader of the nation and he would take them and conquer the promised land. Moses is thinking about the end of his time as a leader. And who is he thinking about? He's thinking about the kids. Let's read De Deuteronomy chapter 6 starting in verse 1. It says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it. Now listen to what he says in verse 2. So that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Can you see his concern for the children? He's worried about what's going to happen. They're going in and they're going to conquer and they're going to settle this land. Will future generations, you know, will their sons and their grandsons, will they keep serving God? So this is the launching point of our lesson, and I'd like to take some time to talk about these precious souls here in this building this morning. And I'd like to talk about some of the things that Moses said to the Israelite parents about what they could do to make sure that their kids were faithful after they got to the promised land. And there, there are a lot of books about parenting. You know, I, I don't know how any of them can improve on the simple counsel that Moses gives here in Deuteronomy. We're going to look at some of the commandments Moses 
gives to parents as they're about to enter the promised land to be sure that future generations will be faithful too. Uh, and I will tell you in these commandments, we find the wisdom that we need to help our future generations to be faithful to the Lord. So let's look at what he says. Let's begin in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Let's stop right there and look at this admonition. If we want to raise children who continue to serve the Lord from generation to generation, then as parents, we need to love our God, the Lord our God, with all of our heart. You might think, well, he's not talking about talking to parents here, is he? We haven't gotten to that yet, but he is laying the foundation to say something to parents. But this is where it starts. It starts with us and our love for God. There's a little college in Florida called, of all things, Florida College. And it's a small Church of Christ college in central Florida, and I believe that's where it is. It's a college where the vast majority of the student body comes from families like yours who took their family to worship every Sunday morning. And there's a professor there who taught on that campus for years. And he said one of the things that he really found disturbing was the fact that these kids who all came from similar backgrounds, who were all Christians, could be so different spiritually. He said some of these kids were rock solid. They were faithful and they were dedicated. And he said some of them were as weak as branch water. I mean, just little or no faith at all. And he said, it bothered me. I just, I did not understand. They had very similar upbringing, so how could these kids be so different? And this professor started his own informal study over the years. He started talking the kid, the kids he thought were very strong to see if he could identify what happened in their house that, that made them so strong. And he thought he might find it had something to do with the size of the congregation they attended. But when he talked to the kids, he found out that wasn't the case. Some went to very large churches and some went to very small churches. He wondered if it was a, some sort of a family, a formal family Bible study plan. So he asked them about that and found out there was not just one formula. That they all used to study at home, but it was not the same. They all did not do it the same way. Uh, some did not have a formal study plan at all, but they all studied. He said after several year, years of, of, of studying this, he began to discover that even though a strong church family was definitely positively influential, there was one thread, one thing that they all shared that connected every strong kid with the others. And you know what that is? He said, every one of those kids believed that their mom and dad loved God more than anything. More than anything else, their mom and dad were devoted to God and wanted to serve Him. And that was the single thing that tied every strong kid together. So that takes us back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, chapter six verses 4 and 5, that perhaps the most important thing that you, can I, you and I can do for our kids to help them be faithful it's to love God. And that sounds simple, doesn't it? I mean, I could, I could write a book that said that, but it wouldn't be very long, would it? The best book already said it. It begins with me. If I want my kids to love God, I need to love God. My faith and my trust and my respect for Him, it needs to be real. 
will not pass on to our children what we do not first possess ourselves. And they will know, our kids will know if we are the real deal. You may not know because we can fool each other, right? You know, I can put on a tie and come up here and, and teach a lesson, or I can sit in the pew and, and belt out a s songs like I love the Lord, and you could look over at me and say, that David, you know, he's a spiritual guy. But I could be a fraud. I could just, it could just be a front I put on when I come up here. Let me tell you, I can fool you, but I cannot fool my kids. They used to live in my house. After services, they got in the car and they came home and went behind our closed doors. They saw the real David. They saw me on the good days and the bad days. They saw what went on here at church and they saw what went on at home. Our kids know what's real. If we're a fraud, they will see it. I would emphasize that I don't think they pick up on that just because of maybe one big thing that we do or one big thing that we say. It's, it's not as though I could just say to my children when they're, when they're 12, Daddy loves Jesus, and that gets it covered. I think our kids pick up on this because of these thousands and thousands of little things that happen every single day while they grow up in our house. It's the apology for the harsh words said in anger. And when they hear us apologize to their mother when we said something that we shouldn't say, it's watching food being loaded in the car going to the home of someone who just lost a loved one. It's that vacation that we drove 100 miles out of the way so that we wouldn't miss worshiping the Lord. It's thousands of little things that say, my mom and dad love Jesus. We want to give our kids a tremendous spiritual advantage. And that's right there is where it starts. We need to be real. My devotion to God needs to be more than just words that we're mouthing in a song. It needs to be genuine. We could say a lot more about that, but there's more in this text, so let's move on. Verse 6, uh, uh, chapter 6 and verse 5, he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And then in verse 6, he says, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. There's our second command or second admonition for parents. He says, These words of the covenant that he's been reciting to them, he said, These words shall be on your heart. And I think in that verse, he's narrowing the focus down a little bit. He's talked a broad theme in verse 5, but here in verse 6, he narrows it in down to one of the most important ways that our love for God is expressed. You know, one of the primary ways you show somebody you love God is by how much you love His Word. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 31, if you continue in my Word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Genuine discipleship is measured by our knowledge and our diligence to follow in following the Word of God. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Do you see the connection between the love for God and the love for His Word? It's knowing the Word and doing what the Word says. You know, they're linked together. You can't really have one without the other. So verse 6, it says, These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You know, what does that mean? What does it mean to have the words of God on your heart? Let's turn over to Psalm 119. Let's look what King 
David said about his love for God and God's Word here in Psalm 119. It's all about the Word of God and how valuable it is. Let's look at starting in verse 123. It says, My eyes fail with longing for your salvation and for your righteous word. Deal with your servant according to your loving kindness and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. And in verse 123, uh, he says, Teach me your statutes. Help me know your testimonies. What's he saying there? Having God's word on our hearts involves this desire to know his word, to study his word, and to consider what it says. God's word is not much value if it's closed up on a, in a book that sits on the shelf. In verse 97, he says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Can you imagine what it would have been like for to be a king, and especially here for King David? How would it, that have been for a king to meditate on the word of God all day long? You know, he was a busy guy. He had a lot of wives to keep up with, and he had a lot of children, and he had a lot of kingdom stuff to do. But he makes the statement in verse 97, he says, all day long, as I take care of my king stuff, all those things share my mind with the word of God. He's thinking about it all the time. And then in verse 148, he says, my eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. David is saying, I can hardly wait till evening comes and the day slows down and the business of the being a king is not quite so demanding so that I can go to some quiet spot and do what? What does he say in verse 148? You know, catch up on ESPN and get, and get the scores or watch Fox News or CNN so I can have ammo to shoot at my political enemies tomorrow. I can hardly wait till evening comes so that I can get quiet and I can meditate and study your word. That's what he's saying. That's what it means to have the word of God on your heart, to know it, to think about it, and to look for quiet moments to study it. If you want your kids to do that, then we have to do that too. If we want our kids to have God's word on their hearts, then it needs to be on ours. We never, will never pass to our children what we don't possess ourselves. If I'm not passionate about these things, our kids will know. It has to be real. We can't fake this. It's those thousands of little things that tell my kids the real story. We want our kids to have it on their heart so that when someone tempts them to drink a beer or, or smoke a joint, that their mind goes to the book. If we want that, then I need to have it on my heart. Let's go back to our text. He's laid the foundation. He hasn't even talked about the kids yet, has he? He's getting us ready for that, though, because in verse 7, after saying, love God, have his word on your heart, verse 7, he says, you shall teach them diligently to your, to your sons. Let's stop right there in the middle of that verse. There's a third commandment for parents that we're going to look at, and that is you shall teach them. He's talking about teaching the laws diligently to your sons. This is just a part of what he's trying to accomplish here because remember in verse 2, his concern was that your sons and your grandsons would keep God's commandments. 
If that was going to happen, then something very practical would have to take place. If they were to keep God's commandments, they would have to be taught God's commandments. You don't just get one without the other. There were a whole lot of teachers back then in Israel. In the Old Testament, we see that there were priests who had teaching responsibilities, and then over time, prophets would be sent to teach, to teach the people. But notice here, who's the teacher? You shall teach them diligently to your sons, to your children. Parents were to teach the children. The center of teaching in Israel was to be in the home. And that's an important point. That was not unique in Israel, and that has always been the pattern in God's relationship with his people throughout history, and the same is true here today. It's important for kids to come to worship and to, and to sit in the assembly, and, but the primary place that God's word is to be taught is at home. And the primary Bible teacher in, in the life of your child is you. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, said, Fathers are told to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Of the Lord. My kids ought to hear far more Bible teaching from me than they hear from any other source. What's that going to look like at your house? You know, I don't think it's the same at every house. Some families have very formal periods of Bible study. Maybe it's right before bedtime, that last 30 minutes before the kids go to bed. Maybe it's the morning, in the morning before breakfast. Maybe it's Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and, and you use your Bible lesson books and work through that with your kids. It really doesn't matter what it is. It just matters that you're doing it. The bottom line is, if I want my kids to know God's commandments and to live those commandments, then I've got to teach the Bible in my house. It's great to have lessons from this pulpit. It's great when we have Bible studies with young folks. All that supplemental stuff is great, but that's what it is. It's supplemental stuff. The primary place where the Bible is taught to our kids is at home. The primary teacher is mom and dad. And I'll be honest with you, the battle for your kids will not be won or lost here in this church building. It's going to be won or lost, lost at your house. We're living in a time when there are so many more resources than ever to help parents teach their kids than ever before. So why is there less and less of that going on? Moses said to Israel, teach your sons. And did you notice I stopped there in the middle of the verse? Let's finish verse 7. It said, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. We're going to Make that our fourth commandment here, our fourth admonition. The first part of the verse is it talks about teaching when we sit down with them uh, for Bible reading or Bible lessons or however you do it. That's the first thing that ought to be going in our house, but there's something else. There's another level that parents should take this, and it's the talking level. It's when you go through your day to your day-to-day -day routine and you and you have these teachable moments and they just sort of fall into your lap and you talk to your kids how scripture can be used in real life. You know, we have formal periods of teaching for our kids and just as important as that are the teachable moments that come along and we have to seize those moments and, and apply the Bible to real life. But that's why mom and dad have to have the word on their heart because if my mind isn't oriented toward the book and God's words, 
the moments are going to come and go, and I'm just going to miss them. And when your mind and your heart is angled that way, what are you going to begin to see is all these opportunities to take the teaching that's in the book and to say to your son or daughter, this is how this helps you in this situation. Let me give you an example. Suppose you're watching a TV show together and it gives a subtle or maybe not so subtle message that defends the homosexual lifestyle. That's a teachable moment. You can take your remote and hit the pause button and talk about talk about it. You don't even have to miss your show. Just hit the pause button. You can pause, pause it, talk, and go on. Now, how awesome, awesome is that? It, it wasn't like that in my day. If you missed a TV show, you missed it forever. Now you can hit the pause button and, and get the Bible and say to your kid, I want to show you something. I want to show you something in Romans 1 that says what you just heard in this program is wrong. I want you to know that. It, and it's a teachable moment. And then maybe instead of hitting play, if that's what the program is saying, push the button and go somewhere else. That would be a great teachable moment too. When you start looking for them, they're everywhere. When you have to say, no, you can't go to the party, or no, I don't approve of that TV show, instead of just issuing edicts, take the book and say, you know, I said no to that movie and I'd like you to know why. The great thing about that is God becomes your trump card. I mean, how are they gonna argue with God? They probably will, but they're not gonna win. They're everywhere, all these teachable moments. And what Moses is saying to Israelite parents, do you realize that was a long time ago that he was saying this, but it's just as true and relevant today. All these teachable moments that come along, don't waste them. In fact, look at verse 8. Verses 8 and 9 just kind of wrap up the whole thing. Deuteronomy 6, 8 and 9 says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be as frontals on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. Let's just conclude this morning with that last commandment. Take these laws, teach them to your kids, talk about them, write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You know, the Jews in Jesus' day, they just missed this. They failed to understand the point that God was trying to make here through Moses. They would literally take pieces of paper with scripture written on, and, on them and they put them in a box and they would tie them around their forehead or around their, their arm and they called them phylacteries and they sometimes used big leather straps so people would notice the phylacteries and think that they were really spiritual. The point from God here in Deuteronomy 6 is not to say the, raise, the way to raise good children is to put little boxes of scripture on their forehead. That's not what he's saying. The point that Moses is making here is that you need to keep your, the Word of God in front of your kids all the time. He's saying, make my law the atmosphere that fills your house. The question is, is that the thing that we keep in front of our kids all the time? There's a lot of stuff out there that we keep in front. Do you make a fuss about grades? How are the report cards at the end of last grading period. We make sure that homework gets done. We check the report cards and if it has a lot of A's on it, we're probably gonna put it on the refrigerator. We keep grades and good work at school in front of the kids all the time, don't we? And some of the stuff we keep in front of them really isn't so important, like their sports ability or their athletic ability or their musical talent. 
We send them to practice and we go out in our backyard and we throw a ball and show them the correct technique and, and we watch the pros do it so we can teach them to do it the right way. And then we go to the ball games and we sit and we cheer or we coach and we offer instruction about how to do it right. And we may even videotape their, the kids swing and to break it down and help them to improve. And we make a fuss about that sometimes. And we have drama at our house sometimes about sports stuff. We may even know the batting average of our 10-year-old last season. What is the atmosphere that fills our house? <clears throat> At the risk of making people mad, if I could just uh, pose a little perspective, uh, your kid is not going to play pro football. And if you had a clue of what kind of lifestyle that went along with that, uh, you wouldn't even think about encouraging it. As, and as important as education is to me, and I've emphasized it with my kids, it has limited value. It's only going to do a little bit for your kids. That doesn't mean my, don't make good grades. It's important to do your best. What will make a difference in the biggest way in your child's life now and eternally is whether or not they know God and whether they grew up believing. Nothing is more important than that. If we know what grades our kids came home with, but we don't have a clue how much Bible they know. We're focusing on the wrong things at our house. And you sure don't have to listen to me, but I'll guarantee you one thing. If you don't listen to God through Moses, there will be a price to pay in grief and regret later. Because when kids do not grow up believing that God and His will is the most important thing, then one day they're going to act on that. We're losing way too many of our kids Let's make this family here at Springer Road the exception. And it all starts at home. Uh, that's the lesson. Let's get ready to sing the invitation song. Maybe there's someone here today that wants to be added to the body of Christ and you've heard the word and you believe it. You can come forward, repent of your sins, confess that Jesus is the Son of God and you can be baptized, be fully immersed, and you can become a Christian. Or you've already taken those steps, but you've strayed sin publicly, you can come forward, repent and confess and have a prayer on your behalf as we stand and sing the invitation song.